I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, talk a little bit about the sad news over the weekend. U.S. Representative John Lewis from Georgia passing away, an icon of the civil rights movement. And then later on in the podcast, we're going to be interviewing the Reverend June Joplin. Reverend Joplin recently came out to her congregation identifying as a transgender woman. And we conducted the interview prior to the news breaking recently that the congregation has actually now dismissed uh, Reverend Joplin from employment. But uh, we had an opportunity to speak to her before her firing. And it's really an enlightening and uh, productive conversation. So you certainly want to make certain to stay tuned for that. Are you worried that COVID-19 is going to put off your plans for theological education? The Baptist Seminary of Kentucky is offering a full schedule online this fall. Our approach to online education is unique, offering classes live and face-to-face via Zoom. At BSK, relationship is critical, and we are thrilled to be able to offer our Master of Divinity, Pastoral Care Certificate, and Rural Ministry Certificate this way. Learn more at bsk.edu. Autumn, how are things this week? Things are going well. I've noticed something kind of interesting, though. Oh, please do tell. Do tell. Yes. Since being cooped up, um, I found that, first of all, my dreams are way more vivid. And second of all, I'm I'm a total travel bug in my dreams. I've been to Salzburg. I've been to New York (laughs) City. I've been to Venice. Um, I think my subconscious is super bored of my house. Your subconscious passport is getting all kinds of stamps. That is fantastic. So when what happens when you go to these exotic places in your dreams? I mean, do you, you know, do you, do you eat food? Do you drink wine? It's always wine? Christmas. It's always Christmas. There it's, you go. I mean, it's like it's like the opposite of Narnia, basically. <laughs> so it's always Christmas. No one's wearing a mask, uh-huh. um, but there is no pandemic, and so we're doing that safely. And it's just been so interesting how. I feel like I'm handling this really well on the outside, but I think inside my brain is just reeling. Right. No. Well, that sounds absolutely lovely. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> those, those are nice little vacations every night. Uh, and cheap. And cheap. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I was looking on the calendar. How are y'all doing? We're doing well. I was looking at the calendar yesterday and it popped up that... Uh, uh, I was supposed to be in Brazil this week. Uh, I'm the, supposed to be at Glacier National Park this week. That's right. It's kind of like, oh, womp, womp. Womp. exactly. But uh, <laughs> no, we're doing well. Uh, we've created this little oasis in our backyard uh, that we've been able to to go out and get away a little bit. Uh, the weather here in Oklahoma has uh, taken a little bit of a cooler turn. And when I say cooler, lower 90s instead of hundreds. Uh, so the evenings have been pleasant. Right. right? <laughs> uh, old man winter showed up in uh, July. <laughs> but uh, no, it's 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 been pleasant. Uh, still just trying to figure out what the future is. And really nobody can tell. Uh, still have... My two adult sons here, my youngest son, trying to figure out what he's going to do for college in the fall. Uh, attends Dartmouth College up in New Hampshire. Um, you know, they've gone to potential virtual for some students, uh, some students being on campus. So just trying to figure out what the next step for him is. And then uh, my oldest son 
is trying to get back to California as quickly as possible. But as the newspapers continue to indicate, L.A. is shut down uh, or is about to shut down because of the increase in, in cases. So so we're yeah. just, you know, kind of in this holding pattern, circling the airport, trying to figure out when to land. <laughs> uh, so... But at any rate, it is good, um, you know, still trying to, to wrap my head around the, the discussion that is taking place uh, across the country as school approaches. We talked a little bit about that this week, or last week, I should say. And one of the things I am really excited about, Good Faith Media. Uh, good Faith Media is uh, in our second uh, pre-production of a, our Good Faith Forums um, our good faith forums address social justice issues and critical issues of the day. We are about to complete our first series of good faith forums, and those good faith forums are on racial justice. Sessions one and two you can find at our Good Faith Media Facebook page as well as our website. And our third and final session on Racial Justice will air live on Facebook Live this coming Tuesday at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And the subject matter is going to be police reform. And our moderator is the Reverend Dr. Terrell Carter from uh, Greenville, or Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. A wonderful, wonderful uh, theologian. Um, administrator, but also is a former police officer. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you have an opportunity, tune in next Tuesday at two o'clock Eastern for that discussion. And speaking of police reform, a lot of strange things happen across the country right now, especially in Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news uh, there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of unmarked police vans rolling up on protesters and pulling them in. Uh, to these vans, uh, identified now as as federal uh, police enforcement, a lot of you know kind of strange behavior. And then the president announced a couple of days ago that he's planning on sending more of those forces into Chicago and Detroit and New York City. Uh, it's getting kind of scary, to be quite honest with you, that the federal government is utilizing uh, federal forces to uh, disperse protesters and especially peaceful protesters, bringing them in for questioning uh, and then taking them to places that, you know, who knows where they might end up. Mm-hmm. They're occupying their own country. Yeah, it just it really does uh, make one pause. So we're hoping that uh, cooler heads prevail. We're hoping that congressional leadership will step in and mm-hmm. demand to know what exactly is going on. We need some accountability and some oversight. Here. Right, absolutely. And if they're not willing to do it, what we discovered this week is that moms and dads will step in. Yeah, um, we will. We're not afraid of tear gas. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. Did you see uh, the moms uh, inter- interlinking arms in Portland? Yeah. Standing between protesters and federal forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next night, dads show up inspired by the moms with leaf blowers blowing tear gas uh, away uh, <laughs> from this. I mean, just, I mean, it really does sound like, you know, a brave new world or, you know. Exactly. <laughs> just, I feel like for the like past, a- honestly, Mitch, for the past 10 years, all young adult lit has been is like post-apocalyptic fiction. Right. You know, and so I feel like our generation, we're ready. Like, mm-hmm. 
we're ready to do this. We have been, we have, we're fully read up on how to handle this situation. Yeah. We've read all the hunger games and we're ready. Right. Well, my generation thought it was just fiction until 2016 rolled around. And then we thought, how worse could it get? And then 2020 said, here, hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, and here we are. It is a, such a bizarre world we live in. And so, but I am, I am thankful for our church. I'm thankful for our core group of friends. It's only through the people that listen to this podcast that support Good Faith Media and our family and friends that gives us any solace and hope for tomorrow. And so I'm, I'm really you know, trying to lean into that, not get too discouraged and depressed about what I see going across our country and really be rejuvenized uh, to, shall we say, get into some good trouble. Yeah. We lost a giant this weekend, Autumn. Uh, only stood five foot six, but his shadow. I didn't was... know that until I read that in your article. I always pictured him as like at least seven and a half feet tall. <laughs> well, he lived seven feet, seven and a half feet tall. No <laughs> That's doubt. That's true. Yeah. Um, golly, U.S. Representative John Lewis from Atlanta passed away. Civil rights icon um, was one of the big six during the civil rights movement. One of the speakers, last living speakers uh, at the the great march on Washington, um, was there on Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama, as they crossed the Edmund Pettit Bridge. Uh, was beaten by state uh, law enforcement. Uh, was a freedom writer. Just, I mean, the list goes on and on to what uh, John Lewis. Uh, was able to accomplish and stand for in his life, and also a Baptist preacher, uh, American Baptist preacher, and uh, just just a huge void is left in the universe because of his passing. Now, did you know much about uh, Representative Lewis? I really didn't, and I've I've really felt like I missed out as I've read more about his life in the past week. Yeah. You know, growing up uh, here in Oklahoma, of course, not a whole lot of uh, in-depth education on civil rights. Um, we've talked about that before. was never taught about the 20, 000, or, uh, 1921 race massacre here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But also, you know, we talked about the civil rights movement, but usually the emphasis was placed on Dr. King uh, and what surrounded, uh, you know, his his work and his sermons and, his, and uh, the movement. But not a whole lot of emphasis was placed upon others that surrounded him uh, who pushed the movement and, and really did a lot of the legwork uh, to, to stand up for civil rights. And so I did not, as you did, did not come to learn of John Lewis's story until later on in life. Had very fortunate circumstance to hear him speak on a couple of occasions. I read mm-hmm. his book, uh, Walking with the Wind, which he signed for me. It's a cherished prize of mine. Mm-hmm. But uh, just such an extraordinary individual, a person who has encouraged us to get into good and necessary trouble. And I yeah. uh, wrote an article about it today. It was released uh, Thursday of this week, uh, talking about the importance of getting into good trouble, that not only should our words uh, be vocalized and standing up for racial justice, but we need to lace up our shoes and get to marching and get to work. Uh, because yeah. actions and words must always go together as we're, the scriptures teach us. Absolutely. And that it's okay to go against the status quo. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, and I had a conversation speaking of that, speaking of the status quo, and I'm really frustrated. And so forgive me if I get on this perch here for a second, but I'm getting more and more frustrated with the white church. Um, I've had conversations a lot with our colleagues and our white clergy colleagues are having a growing frustration within their congregations as they speak out on racial justice issues and denounce white supremacy. They, they uh, preach out against white privilege and try to call people's attention to this and systemic racism. They are getting a lot of criticism from their congregations of talking about racial justice weekend and week out. And my words to those pastors have been, you can't stop talking about it. I don't care if your congregations uh, are getting are getting discouraged by the those sermons and that emphasis and are tired of hearing it. They need to hear it. This is the mm-hmm. moment that America needs to face and be honest about the original sin of this country that has never, ever been uh, washed away and dealt with. We've got mm-hmm. to deal with it to, to move on, to make this a more yeah. perfect union. And so I'm, I'm getting really frustrated with the white church right now, especially uh, the white moderate and some progressive churches uh, who yeah. want to talk about it for a couple of weeks. And yeah, they'll attend a march or two, but then it's like, yeah, we need to get back to our, you know, the status quo. Uh, and it's like, no, no, this is a no. pivotal moment. We've got to do something at this time and at this juncture. So I just want to say an encouraging word to all of you pastors out there who are finding yourself uh, struggling, uh, facing criticism in your local congregations. Just want you to know that at Good Faith Media, we support you. We support your mm-hmm. message. Um, we know that and you're it's on the right side of history. You're exactly. doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. Absolutely. You're in great company. <laughs> That's right. And uh, we know it's difficult and you have tough decisions to make uh, because it can become daunting. I was a pastor for over 20 years and there are a lot of things that you have to think about and factor into those decisions and what you say from the pulpit. But I just want to give you a word of encouragement if you're listening today. You're doing great. Keep up the good work. Keep up the good fight. And in the words of John Lewis, continue to get in that good and necessary trouble. Uh, It is bending the arc of the moral universe, and it is bending towards justice. Keep doing it. Absolutely. In fact, you take those prisoners and you just send them to autumn at goodfaithmedia.org and I'll handle them for you. <laughs> there you heard it, friends. Uh, autumn is uh, willing to stand in the gap for you. Just send them here. her way and she's got all kinds of uh, retorts for them. I can't wait to see what happens. We'll just have some schools, what we'll do. I'm a former teacher. My teacher voice is a little bit stifled right now, so we'll, we'll just have some school. <laughs> well, great. Well, again, we want to uh, extend our sympathy to the Lewis family, but also just take a, a moment to remember the greatness of John Lewis and everything he did. So if uh, you're listening, wherever you are in the country or around the world, just take Let's take 30 seconds to pause and remember John Lewis and everything that he did for this country and hopefully continues to inspire us to do in this country. Let's continue to get into some good and necessary trouble.
Thank you for taking that time to remember John Lewis. And now we want to turn to our interview with Reverend June Joplin. Uh, Reverend Joplin, as I mentioned early on in the broadcast, uh, recently came out to her congregation in Toronto or outside of Toronto, Canada, that she was identifying as a transgender woman. It was a very brave and bold thing to do. And she is also a member of our strategic board here at Good Faith Media, and we fully support her and uh, what she is doing in her ministry. Uh, But recently, her congregation decided to fire her. The interview that was conducted with Reverend Joplin occurred prior to that firing, so we do not mention it in the interview, but we wanted to make you aware that that is the case as of now. So listen to, stay tuned and listen to the interview with Reverend June Joplin. Ethics Daily and Nurturing Faith are coming together and joining forces to launch Good Faith Media. Is that not exciting? I am pumped. I'm so excited. We've been planning this and scheming and dreaming, and it's finally coming to fruition. We're really excited to roll out the new website, uh, hoping that everybody will get a chance to log on to goodfaithmedia.org starting July the 1st. But uh, there's also something we want to invite uh, a lot of our good friends to be a part of, and that is the Good Faith 50. So, Autumn, tell us a little bit about the Good Faith 50. The Good Faith 50 is a group of our friends who want to support us. And our goal is to grow our monthly members, so our our folks who donate to the mission of Good Faith Media, which is to provide resources and reflection at the intersection of faith and culture through an inclusive Christian lens. We want to invite the people who believe in that mission to become monthly donors. And our goal in July and August is to grow our monthly donors by 50. That is absolutely awesome. We welcome anybody who wants to be a part of the Good Faith crew in the months of July and August. And all they need to do is go to goodfaithmedia.org, hit the donate button, and then select to become part of the Good Faith 50 and a monthly donor at any level. And we would love to hear from you. And we appreciate, as always, your support. Your contribution helps us publish new articles each and every day. It also helps us uh, produce short documentaries and allows us to cover stories across the country. It helps us publish more books and provide more experiences for more people of faith. We are trying to advance a faith that is inclusive for all, providing justice for all and freedom for all. So make certain you sign up on Good Faith 50 at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we have a very special guest with us, one of our very own strategic board members, the Reverend June Joplin. Reverend Joplin is the pastor of Lauren Park Baptist Church in Mississauga, Ontario. She is a graduate of Appalachian State University and Baptist Theological Seminary in Richmond. She hails from the great state of North Carolina. She recently disclosed to her congregation, live over Zoom, I need to add, that she was announcing after a lifetime of hiding her true self that she was coming out and identifying as a transgender female. June, as I said a moment ago, is a very active member in Good Faith Media. She's part of the Strategic Advisory Board. And I must add, because we have this in common, June, she is a super hockey fan. So June, welcome. That's right. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. 
Welcome. Thanks. It's so good to be here. And and, uh, thanks for that lovely introduction. Yeah, Yeah, excellent. We really want to just, of course, first and foremost, welcome you to the pod. Um, Thank you for being so brave and courageous. Um, Can't imagine. It's hard enough to preach a sermon over live Zoom, I've heard from our, our pastor friends. So that's a lot to be bringing to the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, before we dive into that moment, though, can you talk a little bit about your background and discuss how you, you know, emotionally, intellectually, theologically came to the conclusion of identifying as a transgender woman? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, like, like Mitch said, uh, I am from North Carolina. I'm from a very small town. Um, about an hour, hour and a half to the northwest of Charlotte, North Carolina. So, you know, hour and a half from Charlotte, hour from Asheville, just kind of that, that area. And um, three or 4,000 people, um, you know, with three or 4,000 people, there were probably three or 400 Baptist churches. Uh, so <laughs> every, everybody's ex- Baptist, mostly. Absolutely right. Yeah. And, and I would say... Um, with a few exceptions, maybe like the first Baptist church in the city limits might have had like some formal affiliation with the Southern Baptist Convention, but otherwise it was mostly just kind of different brands of mm-hmm. functionally fundamentalist uh, independent churches. And the church I grew up in certainly um, identified that way. Um, I, my mother has a copy of the bulletin from the week after I was baptized, and it lists that, you know, I was baptized the week before. And there's actually an article in the bulletin that says, here is why we prefer to call ourselves a fundamentalist church. So like when wow. I say it was a fundamentalist church, yeah. I mean like they, they, they were a bragging fundamentalist church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't like people from the outside were like, y'all are fundamentalists. They're right. like, yes, we're fundamentalists and we love that. And here's why. So, and, and it, you know, that was irrelevant to me as a sure. seven, eight, nine, 10 year old kid, or even as a member of the youth group, it just, I, you know, I didn't know. Um, so I grew up in that, in that world where, Um, it just would have been unthinkable for anyone to say, you know, I think that maybe I was supposed to be a girl. Um, we're we're talking about the mid eighties, early nineties, um, graduated from high school in like 1996 university in 2001. So, um, it's remarkable how much the world has changed really just in the last 10 years. Um, but back then it would have been next to impossible for a young child to come out. Um, That's not impossible these days. One of the, one of the really amazing letters of support I got is from a colleague down in the South who has a nine-year-old trans girl in his bad church. And, and it's been an amazing story. And, and I celebrate news like that and love news like that. But at the same time, there's this, there's always going to be this sense of kind of envy is maybe not the right word, but grief that like, Oh wow. Like she is growing up the way I did or the way I should have. Um, I, I would have never, I, I didn't have any concept of what transgender was or what it meant to be transgender. Um, I wouldn't have realized at the time that it's much more of an umbrella or it, it's it, transgender people come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and types. Uh, transition can look very different for different people. Yesterday was International Non-Binary Day. Uh-huh. Um, several mm-hmm. of my very good friends, including my first therapist, who was the first person ever to use the right pronouns for me, right. um, is non-binary. And um, non-binary folks are transgender, but they're not 
some of them are not transgender in that they're, you know, seeking, um, uh, there may not be like a medical component to their transness. They sure. may not make dramatic changes in the way they present to the world. So I, I didn't know, you know, for, for all I knew, either transgender didn't exist, or as I started to learn a little bit about them, like in the context of maybe like a Phil Donahue show or a Jerry Springer show, <laughs> right. they were mostly just presented as, um, you know, they were stigmatized to, mm. to put it mildly. And, um, there was kind of a narrative of like, you know, feeling trapped in the wrong body. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not necessarily a narrative that I identified with. Um, there was uh, the, the implication that transition necessarily involved a lot of surgeries that, you know, would cost a lot of money and would only be available to a very select kind of elite few. And, and so the little that I understood um, about, uh, trans people, um, would have included, uh, would have suggested to me that like, it was just something that very, very few people who were really, really trans, that was my way of thinking back then got to do. And like, for me, it was just, you know, this is just some weird thing, this, this weird inclination that, um, if I know what's good for me, I keep it to myself. It's a phase. I'll grow out of it. Everything will be okay by the time I grow up. I was wrong. Yeah, sure. Now, I mean, obviously you, you grew up in North Carolina, you went to school in Virginia. Um, you know, you've been a, a follower of Jesus for sounds like most of your uh, yeah, life. As long as I can remember. Um, you know, in the church, there are so many constructs that have been built over time based upon social constructs, theological constructs. As you grew older and began to understand who you were um, and identified as, as a female, how big a part did these social constructs that have been created by the church and by society play a part and, and put pressure on you not to reveal who you truly were? Yeah, well, that's a that's a great question. Um, the, the church, as a lot of us know it in North America, is profoundly heteronormative, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was talking to a friend of mine just recently about how like it's hard to be a single male pastor. You know, mm-hmm. you're, if you if you're going to go get a job at a church, they really, really if if two candidates are equal and one has a wife and kids and one doesn't, the wife and kids is going to put you over the top yeah, because there's true. just this, yeah. we, we, we have up on a pedestal as if it is an idol, this notion of wife and two kids mm-hmm. as the norm for society. And we want our pastors to look absolutely normal. Mm-hmm. And, and I put my like, quotes around. Right, normal. Right, right, right. Um, and, and you know, there are some folks that theologically would say that that's, that's the only proper purpose. I know there are some conservative Southern Baptists who would say, if you, if you get into adulthood and you're not married and you're childless, you are not fulfilling God's purpose or, or how God created you, which is just preposterous. But, um, even among those, those churches, you know, some of our, uh, some of the more moderate progressive, uh, members of the Christian family might not say that, but yeah, if they were evaluating mm-hmm. uh, a couple of pastoral candidates, the one who, like I said, had the wife and kids is going to get the job um, because there's a profile um, that we really, really want pastors to fit. You know, I've, I've, 
I've said to my friends, like, people really want their pastor to look like the kind of person they would get a bank loan from. <laughs> and so if, yeah, if, if right. you don't, if you, if, if you don't look like the kind of person who would have your picture in a bank lobby saying like branch manager, then, you know, there are a lot of churches that are not going to want you just because sure. of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of LGBTQ plus identified friends who, you know, I, I joke about how I look like their boring aunt whenever we hang out because, <laughs> um, you, you know, their gender presentation might be somewhere, uh, in the middle of the spectrum between what we would consider very masculine and very feminine. Uh, they might do just something different with their hair. You know, one of my best friends has purple hair on top and shaved on the sides and uses they, them pronouns. And and I love them so much, but that, you know, I've said to her, I've said to them, uh, you know, when we hang out, people are going to think I'm really lame compared to you, you know, (laughs) because they live in the city and, you know, they're the type of person who, um, churches are going to look sideways out just right. because of they don't fit this profile and the profile is kind of the way I, I describe it. Like it's pervasive and it's almost unspoken. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I recognized kind of intuitively um, as I began to pursue a calling into ministry that there was a certain, I mean, it's not hard um, to look at, take any denomination you know, take my home denomination in the United States and look at all the people that are pastoring the most prominent churches and they all look exactly the same, sure. like, or at least like 95% the same. Mm-hmm. And so it's not hard to see those folks and say, you know, I need to be that if I'm going to have a career. And yeah. if I, if I don't conform, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to have to take what's left over. Um, so, so June with, with, you know, all this outside, uh, construct that the church has built, that culture has built. Um, obviously, that that put it in amounts uh, an incredible amount of pressure on you. Uh, on and I've heard the same story about from other LGBTQ plus uh, individuals. So there had to be this this process you went through, and this moment in time where you drew the conclusion absolutely a hundred percent. This is who God created me to be. Can you walk us through that a little bit? What that must've been like? Sure. Yeah, sure. It was a, um, it was a journey that required growth, um, transformation, maturity, and like every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, theologically, uh, politically, um, emotionally, psychologically, rather. Um, All these things had to evolve from where they would have been when I was a teenager at a really conservative church, or even when I was like um, 20 years old and still hadn't really, I I I, I was beginning to, I guess, recognize that there were other ways to be Christian, and in my my case, other ways to be Baptist. I got very fortunate in getting connected to congregations that weren't just the the country fundamentalist church or just, I won't say country fundamentalist, but they were, they were just, they weren't that very narrow conservative expression of Baptistness that I'd grown up with. And sure. um, Yeah. So I I had to, I had to grow to, you know, I had one of the first things I had to figure out was, um, just that women could be ministers. You know, I wasn't raised with that sensibility. And um, I guess I was in my twenties before I ever encountered a a woman in the pulpit. 
and and heard a woman preach a sermon and just thought this is this is amazing and i had questions about it um because i had been taught to have questions about it and i can remember as a kid um i think it was one of my uncles or or somebody i went to church with was talking about some as i recall it was some mission program that one of the methodist churches one of the few churches that wasn't baptist in my county it's always those methodists right? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. i think i think they were methodist and, and, and you know like i said three or four hundred Baptist churches in my home county and, and right. you know Methodists being good sensible people will put like one or two churches in a city um, and so there weren't very many um, and, and one of the ones in my county had a woman pastoring and, and this this man was describing I don't know what it was they were like volunteering at the soup kitchen mm-hmm. or like collecting money for some missionary and they were like you know they're doing this relief work and they got a woman pastor like as if <laughs> as if as if like having a female oh pastor goodness. meant that you were I don't know like conspiring yeah. to make the world a worse place and right. not actually doing <laughs> acts of service. It was just mystifying to them that, that they could possibly be doing anything sure. that looked like a normal church mm-hmm. because they were doing this thing that was so clearly against there. Right. So that was kind of what I grew up in. And it took me a long time to evolve past that. And it, 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 it became clear eventually, you know, as I was kind of a witness to the struggle for, uh, LGBTQ plus equality in the church, that these, these fights were pretty similar, that a, a lot of the, the, the handling of scripture that says women can't do anything outside the nursery or the kitchen mm-hmm. is very, it is the same handling of scripture that says we can't let LGBTQ plus folks in our churches right. or they can't be leaders or we have to, um, they have to repent and change who they are to be fully accepted in the church. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it's interesting how you can trace, you know, again, like, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I've come to discover and, you know, I didn't, didn't learn this growing up, but I mean, our, our history as folks rooted in, in the Southern Baptist convention is a history of white supremacy. You know, 1845, Augusta, Georgia, a bunch of slave holding or pro-slavery pastors get together and say, we need a convention where we could, where slavery is okay, because the Bible says slavery is okay. So the Southern Baptist Convention was founded as a white supremacist organization justified by scripture. And it again, louder, please. (laughs) Well, they were. And, you know, it occurs to me that they didn't, and they didn't change as far as I can tell, because they like grew Theologically, they changed sure. because their founders lost a war. Mm-hmm. So eventually they had to say, well, we can't read the Bible. We can't read the book of Ephesians that says slaves submit to your masters the same way because like the government is making us, you know, free right, slaves. Right, right, right. And you know, we lost, we lost. And, mm-hmm. But they so said, they you know, the other Jim thing Crow in Ephesians. Yeah. Well, yeah, they did. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing in Ephesians, it says wives submit to your husbands. Like we're going to, we're going to read that just as literally as we used to read you know, slaves submit to your masters. Right. And, but, but at some point, you, you know, good faith Christians will say, looked and said, wait a minute, we were really wrong about that yeah. uh, in terms of race relations and white supremacy. And even, you can go back even further beyond that to colonialism. We were wrong about that. We were wrong about that. We were wrong about that. But this LGBTQ plus stuff, we are absolutely right about it. Mm-hmm. There's no way we're making the same mistake that we right. did again and again sure. and again and again. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess I started to recognize that in seminary. Um, one of my one of my favorite staff members at the seminary I went to uh, lost his job 
mm-hmm. not for being LGBTQ plus, but for just being a really good ally and right. his, his dedication to, um, to stand in solidarity. If, if there, it wasn't even that we had folks who were openly or identified as LGBTQ plus, but his dedication to stand in solidarity with those students, if that happened, um, totally hypothetical, but it, 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 put him on the wrong side of the president of the seminary. So he had to leave. And Mm -hmm. I saw that and, you know, I've been seeing stuff like that for 20 years. Um, and, and it, it seemed wrong to me then back then it was, it was, um, it was explained to me that like, if we, if we try to fight for LGBTQ plus inclusion, we're going to lose everything we ever advocated for, for women in ministry. And we can't afford, you know, it was a like, basically pitting one marginalized group against another, which is really, uh, you know, I don't know, near the front of the patriarchal playbook, I guess. Um, But in those days, almost 20 years ago, I accepted that. I was like, yeah, you know, they're probably right. We can only, we we have to, we got to wait. We're going to, if this ever becomes an issue, Mm -hmm. it's, we just got to put it off. We got to put it off another decade. We got to put it off another 15 years. Yeah. All along the way, I was kind of evolving myself. Yeah. So, yeah. So it sounds Absolutely. like it was a, a kind of a lifetime process for you, both emotionally, Absolutely. intellectually, theologically. And so, uh, you know, it's a beautiful story. And, you know, I'm glad that, you know, we're at a point now and, and you have you know, drawn this conclusion. You're able to live uh, your life openly and, and profess who you truly are as God created you. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. So at the risk of going off script for just a minute, um, we can edit this part out much if we want to. I think you are so uniquely positioned to really speak to some of those gender roles that you've addressed, especially when it comes to church. And um, I have a lot of conversations. I have two boys and two girls, um, my children. And so, you know, we work really hard, my husband and I, to not assign pronouns to who their spouses may be and little things like that, that we think, you know, to have a really open space. But at the same time, I do feel like I have to teach my girls a little bit differently than I teach my boys. And now that you have walked around and are stunning heels, do you feel that as someone who's stood in both kinds of shoes? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Gender is really complicated there's they're biological and um sociological and um psychological components you know i I have a i heard somebody say not long ago gender is biopsychosocial so depending on well you know i would say that in in a lot of ways biologically i'm female you know my my hormone levels are Probably, I uh, probably have a higher estrogen level than the average 41 year old female and maybe a lower testosterone level. And one of the things you learn um, is that, you know, a lot of folks will say, well, your, your genes, your DNA, your chromosomes. And you're like, well, you know, your, your chromosomes aren't the things that give you secondary sex characteristics. It's your, it's your hormones. And, um, and, and so there, there's a biological component. There's, there's a, um, there's research that sec- suggests the the, the uh, neurological activity of trans people is very closely aligned to the neurological identity, uh, the neurological activity of cis people. So a trans woman's brain, as best we can tell, you know, and we can't tell everything, works a lot like a cis woman's brain. Um, so there's there's that component, but then that social component is is yeah. the part where, like, you know, saying. 
hello world, I'm a woman at 41 years old uh, means that there's a lot I missed out on. Right. Um, like your mom didn't teach you how to put your keys between your fingers whenever yeah, you're no, walking in a dark parking lot. No, she, she didn't. Um, and, and in fact, I was a fairly intrepid, uh, like teenager and young adult. And would just, you know, I had a friend that we would just go anywhere, anytime and not really worry about that. And, and now like, in, in some sense, I'm glad I had that experience of socialization. Um, but boy, there's a lot that I wish I knew. Um, and it's going to take a while and it's going to be strange learning some of these lessons at 40, 41. Um, sure. but what I, what I hear from a number of my trans friends is, you know, they, they come with time. Um, you're, you're probably emotionally in some sense, you're, you're, you might be emotionally better equipped to learn these things in, in middle adulthood um, uh, than you might have been when you were 13 years old. Yeah. Um, sure. but, but I don't know. Like, that's the thing that and, – and there are certainly – there are parts of um, the social aspect of, of womanhood that I, I relate to without having had um, direct experience. I. I recorded a reflection for the Metropolitan Community Church here in Toronto um, a couple of weeks ago, and they asked, uh, each Sunday during June, they asked a different woman to just reflect on what womanhood means to them. And they asked me because they wanted to get a trans woman, and they thought it would be really interesting to get somebody who had just come out a couple of weeks ago. And I, I shared a story that I read in this wonderful book called The Seven Necessary Sins for Women and Girls by Mona el Uh She's an Egyptian-American activist um, uh, who uses the term sins, not, not, not in like the Christian moral sense, but she's basically saying here are qualities that, that women and girls are socialized not demonstrate that they need things like ambition and anger and um, uh, knowing when to command attention. Mm -hmm. um, um, one of the things she talked about was um, how, especially in the context of uh, like sexual assault, women's testimonies tend not to be taken seriously. And, and you can, they're, they're really grim statistics about a lot of that stuff. Um, in terms of what percentage of, of victims even go forward, um, and then what percentage of victims there's anything like justice. And um, so, so that sense that like you can tell the truth, but like the world will say, well, you're a girl, we don't believe you. Mm -hmm. um, I can identify with that a little because I spent many years with this voice inside me saying, you know, you're, you're supposed to be a girl and right. with a louder voice inside me saying, no, that can't be true. Wow. Um, you need to put your head down. You need to, to, you know, quote unquote, man up. You need to get through this. And, and this thing that, you know, deep down inside is true. You absolutely cannot take it seriously. Um, it is not to be trusted. And so I think the sense in which, you know, women and girls are, are kind of socialized, not take their intuition seriously. Sure. Um, it, it is, is I kind of identify with that. Yeah. You um, experienced that on a very deep level. It sounds like. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It, you know, it, it's different, but um, it, it's, it's, um, it's relatable. I hope. Yeah. Um, Thanks. And, yeah. and I want to learn more and more as I go. Yeah. Um, I'm certainly open to that. 
We certainly yeah. have taught us a lot. Now, Jen, I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and take you back to that Sunday in June where you announced to your congregation that you're identifying as a transgender female. There is this, and I cannot overstate this enough, there is this beautiful, beautiful photo of your son embracing oh, yeah. you immediately after the live feed went dead. I can't imagine what was going through your heart and your mind and your soul up to that Sunday, but then immediately following that Sunday. <laughs> and that, that photo of your son embracing you was just so, so powerful. Can you tell us a little bit about what that moment was like? Sure. Um, well, you know, I was terrified going into that Sunday. Um, I was, um, my plan of course would have been to come out in the pulpit and, you know, um, in person, uh, COVID disrupted that. Um, but then like so many of us are doing during this season of COVID, we're, we had to adapt. And, and some of us are finding, well, this is bad, but we can find ways to make it work even to our advantage. And so I realized that even though it is the case that, that every sermon I've ever preached at Lorne Park, minus a few with like technical glitches, has been put out on the World Wide Web. So like you can, you can see, you can hear anything I've ever preached, like it's sure. out there. But this sermon had a potential to have a wider reach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not, nonetheless, I was just terrified. Um, sure. I, I was wondering, and understand, you know, what if, what if they cut off my microphone? What if somebody stops me and says, okay, wait, 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 you know, we can't do this. Um, what if there's a message waiting for me at the end of the service that says you're fired? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I didn't know. I, I just had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and it just felt like the, the supreme risk. Um, but at the same time, like it felt very necessary. Like, um, I, I, um, had managed to repress so effectively for so long, but once I became self-accepting, it it got to the point where it was excruciating hiding. You know, I I would even say like I repressed so well for so long, I wouldn't have even considered that I was hiding. Sure. Um, But it was such a relief to finally um, just get it out of the way. You know, this, this is not, it's not a specter anymore. It's not hidden anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, People might love it. They might hate it. They might celebrate it. They might lament it, but yeah. it's out there. And um, well, how how has the response been after that Sunday? Well, I, I you know it's been mixed. Um, the the part of what I'm experiencing is that the people who want to reach out to me are the people who think this is wonderful news. Um, so uh, I think the, the the folks who could answer that question better would be like, you know, the church council, the folks who are kind of leading us very, um, oh, with with a lot of wisdom and grace through this process of kind of discernment. Um, I have heard, with very few exceptions, uh, overwhelmingly loving and positive and affirming um, responses. Hmm. I got 
you know, I woke up this morning to an email from my youngest son's hockey coach saying, I saw you on the news. And I think that's amazing, which is cool because my other son's hockey coach messaged me a couple of weeks ago. And, 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 you know, like that's, that's a space that I was awkward about stepping back into. Um, and, uh, I got, I got a letter yesterday from, um, uh, someone in Mississippi here in Mississauga whose daughter just transitioned and is a university and, she was saying, you know, I support her, but I see that she's really anxious about taking her first steps out into the world as herself. And your message is giving us such hope. Mm. Um, I've heard from folks who said, like, I had kind of closed the door on faith because of the church's track record with, you know, harming LGBTQ plus folks. And and you've inspired me to... Um, rekindle my faith or start praying for the first time in, in decades or um, stuff like that. Um, sure. I've had a few church members that have said as they've gotten to know me and that's still, you know, we're only a month into this and I haven't been in the pulpit the last couple of weeks. So it's been mostly like one-to-one interactions. I've had a few church members that have said, you know, we think you're better than ever. Um, we feel like we know you nice. now in a way that we never did before. And, and there are a few folks um that are, that are excited as we envision a possible future together. It, there's still a lot of unknowns, but sure. um, there is a lot of cause for hope. Good. That's a good, that's a good word. That is a good word. Yeah. That's a very good word. So what advice can you give to any transgender females and males waiting to come out? Well, yeah, if, if, if you're trans, um, <laughs> um, Goodness. Um, that's a great question. I mean, I, I could repeat some of what I said in my sermon. Um, you know, if, if you have been made to feel broken or less than or um, sinful or anything like that by the church, you have been lied to. And, and that evil language has has hurt and and sometimes led to the deaths of lgbtq plus folks and um you know i'm sorry that you've been lied to by the church um i believe in a god that knows your name um i believe in a god that 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 knew you as a trans person from the moment you were born uh, even if you even if it took you 40 50 60 years to come to that but if you're one of those fortunate folks coming to that realization much younger I believe God, God knows you. Um, God didn't make a mistake on you. Um, I know there, you might hear that from some religious folks in your life, but it's, it's not true. Um, uh, any more than it's, you know, God made a mistake on people that need hip replacements or, or shoulder surgeries or, sure. or to take blood pressure medication. You know, we all kind of, there aren't very many of us that have pure unadulterated, unmodified bodies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, God didn't, God knows you and calls you by name. And um, if, if, if people in your life are not accepting and, and they say, well, you're always going to be our son or you're always going to be our daughter, God sees you for who you are as a beloved daughter or beloved son and, or a, um, a beloved non-binary child, um, neither, neither male nor female. Um, uh, you know, God sees you for what you are. And you, you don't have to listen to... Um, you, you don't have to accept as arbiters of faith, as people who tell you what Christianity is about, those folks who are telling you you're wrong. There are other voices, and um, 
whether whether you find those voices or not, you just need to know that sometimes the loudest voices um, sharing opinions about what the Bible says or what Christianity has to say about transgender people are are also some of the wrongest voices. Um, so don't don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. I had the privilege of watching live the Sunday morning in June, uh, where you announced to your congregation it was a beautiful, challenging affirming sermon that I think every Christian needs to hear. Um, so uh, is that link available for, for people to, to see? Yeah, yeah, there, there sure is. Um, the I have a personal link to just the sermon, which is maybe 18 to 22 minutes of the worship service. And then at the church's website, the the, worship, the full worship service from June 14th is available and and it's okay. like an hour, hour okay. and ten minutes. Okay, um, well, we'll get that link on and YouTube. We'll, yeah, we'll get that link and we'll put it in our, our comments so yeah, that uh, that's great. people can, can link to it because it is it's a fantastic message and just uh, cannot um, uh, encourage people enough to to take fifteen minutes, twenty minutes of their time to to listen to the, this incredible message. Well, June, we are are so proud of you here at Good Faith Media. We love you. Uh, we're looking forward as we launch this company together. Uh, the, the future that, that we can have in culture, making certain that people practice good faith. But uh, before we let you go, because uh, we know that uh, you've you got a busy schedule these days, Autumn has a question that she asked every one of our guests to conclude our interview. So, Autumn, take it away. Of course, yeah. So our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So what is your more to tell? Um. That transgender Christians are are real. We exist. We're human beings. Um, when your congregation or your faith community is debating about issues of acceptance and affirmation, you, you're not debating about an abstract hypothetical issue. It's not who wrote Genesis or should we use wine or grape juice at communion. There are lives at stake. There are human beings, and, and I'm one of them. Um, and there are people in your communities that you can listen to, um, if, and, and, uh, we're there. So, um, find us, um, get to know us. Um, many of us self-included just, just want to be out there so folks can see that this is nothing to be afraid of or nothing to feel challenged by. Um, so much of what the church has to say about LGBTQ plus folks and about trans people in particular indicate that they don't know a single trans person yep. um, and aren't interested in really getting to know them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's all just theoretical, hypothetical. It's the specter out there in the ether, but we are flesh and blood um, and, and we're here, we exist, and a lot of us really love Jesus. Oh, Reverend June Joplin, thank you so much for joining us at Good Faith Weekly. We wish you the best of health and the best of ministry in the future. And just uh, thanks for being you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a real, real delight to be on today. Well, thank you again for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly. And as always, as we sign off, we want to make certain to remind you that wherever you are in the world, make certain you're